Hey, this is Heath Patchett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 66. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Jim and Heather, who have been traveling around the U.S. for the past 341 days in their 95 Ford Tioga named Bertha. They're also newlyweds. They have competed in multiple triathlons, and also their client-based business is centric around training other athletes who are competing in Ironmans and other long-distance races. A few things that we talk about on today's episode is how to use travel to engage with new clients while on the road. Jim has been hosting clinics around different race events, which he has used to pick up clients. So we dig into a little bit of his sales tactics while he's on the road and how to accomplish your personal and business goals while you're traveling and how to stay accountable to those. Before diving into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, and the new 4GX RV cell phone booster. This cell phone booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV because I can't tell you how many times over the past three years we were in truly beautiful places outside of national or state parks, but we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or it wasn't fast enough to record a podcast over Skype, which is kind of a big deal. The 4GX RV cell booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32x, and then rebroadcast it throughout the entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. WeBoost's new cell phone booster is made specifically for RVs, and if you want to receive a 10% discount, you can reach out and email me directly, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I'll hook you up with that discount code. Go to weboost.com to learn more about their cell phone boosters. All right, let's get into today's show with Jim and Heather. Thanks for being on the podcast with me, guys. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. Heath. So I hope that 340, was, is it 341 days at this point? I think it's 345 now. Oh, we okay. haven't posted in this Dang. day. But who's but, counting? But I thought, we're almost yeah, but who's year <laughs> yeah I loved keeping up with you guys on Instagram because, you know, I, I know it's, it's something about like the story arc. You can look at any given point in time that you guys have had in the past year and you're like, oh, this is where you guys were on day 85 or whatever. And it's kind of cool. I, I like that because I, I've done a daily journal for the past three years that we've been on the road. And so I can look back at my one note. Um, you know, like where was I a year ago today or two years ago or three years ago today and kind of look at what I was going through. And I feel like people, you guys will be able to do that with y'all's journey and other people can too. And they follow y'all on Instagram. So that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's been really fun between Instagram and the little blog that we keep, which is mostly for friends and family, but it's been fun because we have just, um, put that on a new, a new server, I guess. And so it's been fun. Actually, I'm going back and uh, like backloading all of our old blogs. And so it's been fun to see where we started and where we are now and all of the random little lessons that we've learned on the road and, and things that have changed things as bad as replacing our 20 year carpet after six <laughs> months of living with it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know progress. we pretty much ripped ours out on day one. So the fact that you guys lived with the shag carpet for six months is slightly impressive. <laughs> yeah. Slash gross. Oh, it was so gross when we pulled it out. So you guys have done how many iron? How many uh, races have you guys done in the past year? Well, uh, in the past year, what uh, we we did a full Ironman. Uh, it was Heather's first one uh, last November, and then we've done three half Ironmen, and then we sprinkled in a couple of the shorter uh, sprint and Olympic races as well. Gotcha. I think in eight different states, something like that. That's awesome. And so going back to kind of where you guys were first having conversations of hitting the road like how long have you guys been together 
And where did this whole conversation come up around buying an RV to go and travel the country? And how does that fit into with what you guys are doing with training and competing uh, and working with other clients who are uh, doing triathlons and Ironmans and other kinds of races? I think yeah, I just actually, asked you like five questions, so feel yeah. free to pick and You did, pick I know. I'm, trying, yeah, to, I'm sorry. trying to keep notes of all of them. No, no, no. It's a great question, though, because it's actually a pretty crazy story that um, not a lot of people know, actually. We've actually only been together about a year and a half total now-ish, a little over. Um, what? But we actually went to high school together, so we uh, we knew each other <laughs> back in 1998. So we're aging ourselves a bit there. But uh, at the time, Jim was a senior and I was a sophomore. And uh, we dated for just a, a couple of months in high school before he went off to college. And, you know, this is before the days of Facebook and social media. So, you know, he went away to college and we didn't stay in touch as you just, you know, don't without social media. So we, uh, 17 years later, he, uh, found me on Facebook, speaking of social media and, uh, sent me just a little message like, Hey, I found an old picture. Just wanted to say hi, see how you're doing. We did a little, a little catch up and then, uh, you know, just kind of left it with, uh, you know, if you're ever in my city, I was in San Diego at the time and he was in Seattle. So if you're ever in each other's city, just, you know, look us up and it'd be great to see you sometime. So I think it was a year after that, I was headed up to visit a girlfriend in Seattle. And so I sent him a message and said, hey, um, I'm going to be in Seattle this weekend if you want to catch up for a beer. And he said, sure. So he came and met up with my friends and I. And um, one beer turned into him hanging out with us most of the weekend. And um, a couple weeks later, he came to visit me in San Diego. And kind of the rest was history. We uh, ended up eloping in Vegas four months later. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Kept it small. What was the uh, kind of the driver for that, if you don't mind me asking? Well, we had actually made plans um, to get married. I had made plans. I'd even kind of had this whole secret plan set up. And uh, it got a little bit thwarted, but at the same time, it was kind of a a serendipitous uh, (laughs) fortunate event there. Uh, The morning that we got married, we actually woke up. We were living in Bertha on our first test run of two weeks. Uh, and we're in, uh, what was the city in Arizona? Near Lake Havasu, Page. We're in Page, Arizona. Yeah. Other side of the state from Havasu, Page. So we woke up in Page and we had to drive back to San Diego and we just realized that our path was going to go right through Las Vegas and not thinking much of it, but, uh, we needed gas. So we pulled into town and, uh, we just kind of said, maybe we should just get married today and just, you know. (laughs) Start start this journey today. And then we went back and forth three or four different times where we were like, no, no, let's not do it. Let's just wait. Um, you know, there's no reason to, to rush it or do it today. And it would be like 20 minutes later. Like, oh, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just seems so perfect. And we just went back and forth three or four different times. And uh, ultimately, we ended up deciding we wanted to do it and uh, actually thought it would be smart to call all of our parents. So we didn't even elope correctly, (laughs) Uh, but we called and got everybody's blessing. And, uh, it's just, everything's just been perfect since our lives have rotated back together. I feel like that's a story in itself though. I mean, when you get married in Vegas on a whim, there's a lot of different pieces that come together that included, we were the last ones in the courthouse before midnight. We had to find a chapel that was still open. We had a, a a witness who had a light up bicycle. It was, it was, (laughs) It was a story in itself getting married in Vegas. And I feel like that sounds somewhat unromantic, but it was actually so, so perfect for us. That's so. awesome. We wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And you guys were probably unlike a lot of others in, in that you were, it sounds like you were sober. Like this was a sober decision. And it wasn't like you guys yeah. were like partying it up in Vegas and spur of the moment. 
No, not yeah. at all. Yeah, we uh, we talked about it for hours, and we actually very purposely didn't have any drinks because we didn't want it to be alcohol in <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that makes sense. So I, I'm I'm really surprised, and I, I've, there's so many follow up questions I want to ask, which is about like why parents were totally cool with this because I know I'm just thinking in my head mine and Alyssa's would have been like hell no you know we want to be there we want to have this big wedding with anyway I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because I'm sure that we probably could but going back a little bit where did this whole idea come from that you guys wanted to get married and hop in an RV and go travel like what were you all doing at this point in your work and where were you at in your lives and how did that conversation kind of evolve because I'm always interested in hearing you know what are the driving factors for wanting to go and hit the road Yeah. So actually it was all just, I think this accumulation of events in terms of him being in San Diego and me being, I'm sorry, him being in Seattle, me being in San Diego. And he had moved down with, to live with me in San Diego. Um, you know, shortly thereafter, obviously everything happened so quickly and, um, we got to talking and neither of us honestly remember the very first conversation about wanting to do this, but almost immediately after that conversation happened, we started looking on Craigslist for RVs kind of just for fun. We're like, well, you know, maybe we should start looking around, see what's out there, see what see what they cost. We don't even know. Um, we ended up going to look at, I don't know, half a dozen maybe. And we ended up actually getting the very first one we had we had seen, um, which, of course, is Bertha. She was uh, she was older, but almost never driven. She had 30,000 miles on her. And she's 20 years old. So. So, you know, she needed some cosmetic work, but she was in great shape. So, so yeah, from there, it was the, the whole, the whole thing that kind of sparked the idea of doing this as a full-time lifestyle was twofold, I guess. One, one being that we lived in different cities and the idea of starting over together, kind of, rather than him plugging into my life or me plugging into his life. um, It was the idea that, you know, let's build a life together and, um, you know, let's start our first year with, uh, with a bit of an adventure, I guess. And, uh, the second part of that was the business component. So, you know, this was an idea that he'd had in the past and living on the road really allowed us to do a lot of networking and a lot of different events through Ironman and different triathlons that we went to. Um, and that was kind of how we plotted our course really was kind of around the Ironman circuit and around the different races that not only we raced, but the ones that we volunteered in. Gotcha. So Jim, you were kind of thinking about this from a business perspective. What what did your business look like at that time? What were you focusing on? Were you had you already left uh, your job up in Seattle and you were focusing on the, the coaching business full time? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I had been working previously uh, in you know like the, the nine to five steady job there, um, getting paid a lot of money to not like what I was doing, and I'd been doing triathlon kind of as a hobby um, and had been helping coach and run teams and uh, being part of the USAT organization uh, from the very, very beginning. So it was always something that was uh, interesting for me. Uh, triathlon kind of has its own personal connection for you know what it's done for my own life. And I love being able to share that with other people. So I, I'm not sure when the switch actually happened, but it was just one day probably staring out a rainy Seattle window, uh, just wanting to be out of the office that I was in and said, you know, I need to be doing this time and uh, and chase this down and uh, so I, I decided and this was 10 months before Heather and I um, reunited and found each other so I had already shifted gears and was doing the coaching thing full-time and trying to build a business um, getting my certifications and uh, you know continuing to excel as an athlete and reading every book that I could and getting as smart as I could on the subject and uh, you know I I'd been fortunately smart enough to just save a lot of money. I'd kind of always loved, lived frugally. So uh, I was able to really focus on that while I was, you know, in, in the red every month. 
uh, and then it just kind of things started to pick up. You know, you start getting clients, and I'd had this idea that if I could get on the road and uh, you know drive from race to race and put on clinics and kind of showcase like the skills that I can provide for people and how I can help people, you know, I'd be able to build clients and, and grow the sport of triathlon, and uh, it would just become a win-win for everyone. And uh, it just kind of organically came up. I think uh, when Heather and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to do for Christmas that year, after I just moved down there to San Diego, and she had a couple weeks off of work, and it was like, let's go rent an RV and <laughs> you know just noodle around yeah. and see like how fun would that be and kind of propose the idea of what if we followed the race circuit and did that for a year while we're trying to figure out where we want to live. And yeah, yeah. Just, okay. Yeah. It was it was never like a direct renting. plan, but we've just kind of always just kept floating down a path that brought us to where we are today. Kind of like, hey, let's get married in Vegas today. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Sounds good. <laughs> so is is there a standardized cool. route of not a standardized route, but I guess like I guess so there is a circuit. They're not just spontaneous races across the country, or is there some kind of method to where and when different races are being held? So, and that's a great question. Uh, it's definitely some of column A and some of column B. Uh, the, the brand has just really taken off, and they're putting out dozens of new races every year. It used to be a very, very small sport, but the sport has just grown like wildfire. So what we did uh, while we were in the planning stages of, of this route, we looked at all the races that we wanted to do. We looked at all the different events. So, like, uh, I have uh, a family reunion every year up in northern Minnesota, and uh, that's always in like the first week of August. So we're like, OK, if we have to be in August here, where could we be, you know, for races in July and for June and May? Right. And just kept backing up and looking at the race calendar and figuring out a plot where we could hit a lot of those. Um, and, you know, coincidentally, we were up in the northern states during the summer, which is where the races are, and then came down in the fall and winter in the southern states. And uh, that also is where the races are. So again, Florida being the last race of the year in November, we just kind of plotted a course that would allow us to hit as many races as we could, um, you know, both to race, volunteer, and to work the coaching business as, as possible. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. So you, you guys were kind of thinking that you could go and compete in these races, but then also you could network and meet people there, potentially bring on clients that you could help coach for additional races and do clinics. So how have you went about kind of lining up some of those? Well, how has that went for the past year? I guess I can ask that as a more generally broad question. Um, yeah, how has that went so far? It's gone very well. Um, I, I think with any uh, kind of concept idea that's that's new and kind of off the beaten path and you don't have a model of somebody else to follow i think one of the the pivotal things is to learn um the mistakes that you have to make and what doesn't work and then what does work and just keep refining and this has just been a great year of learning uh my coaching development and knowledge and my ability to to put on clinics and to to engage an audience and, and teach to groups is just, it's gone through the roof by uh, being able to practice and, uh, and do things when there wasn't so much pressure, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, essentially, I, I do have a question. I know that you guys wanted to build up uh, a life together somewhere. So but you could have also, you know, relocated to a new city and kind of built up a centralized client base around that area or even, you know, I guess, amplified it through online training in different areas. So what was kind of the draw to actually go in person to all these different spots and actually try to network in person? Does that make sense? 
No, absolutely. Uh, and I think really the, the draw was just the, the variety um, to get to kind of see. Um, it's also the, the mass exposure. You know, if we were set up in, um, you know, Seattle, for example, yeah, there's like Ironman Victoria's, you know, three, four hours away and Ironman Coeur d'Alene's like three, four hours away in, in Whistler. You've got three races you could maybe do. And everything else is just, it's a pain, you know, a far transportation, trying to coordinate logistics and everything to get all of us and our crew. So living in our home on wheels um, made it possible to, to get exposure to a lot of races and to a lot of different uh, types of athletes uh, as, as we were able to go. It was really variety. It was getting lots of exposure in the least amount of time uh, with truly the least amount of cost since we did it from the road. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Alyssa and I got a lot of questions about this being newlyweds on the road, which you guys are too. Congrats, by the way. I think you're. Thank you. I think you can claim the term newlyweds. I've been told two years. A couple of people have tried to say three, but I I don't know if that's true. That seems to be stretching it a bit. So, I but was for, wondering when we hit the one year mark, I'm like, do I need to take that off our Instagram no, profile? Are we? <laughs> I think uh, I think two years you can definitely milk it. Uh, I know there's at least one place in South Dakota called Waldrug where you can go get free yeah. donuts and uh, coffee. You were there. We did oh, you that. did. Yeah. We got you free did. donuts and coffee. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there's all these signs of kind of a famous gas station. So I'm kind of interested, just from a couple's perspective, how do you feel like this guy, this trip, this journey has helped push you guys closer together? Oh my gosh. I mean, how does it not really? Uh, yeah, how hasn't it? <laughs> like physically it does. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that for us specifically, this was, I, I kind of, I've kind of summarized this as like our year of growth really, because, you know, we obviously did get married so quickly and um, in such a short amount of time that we still did have a lot to learn about each other truly. So I think that by living this way and spending 24 seven in a hundred square foot box together, you don't really have a choice, but to you know, learn how to be the best you can for each other and learn how to communicate your needs. And um, just we've just learned so much about each other in a very short period of time. I honestly feel like if the, if you're living in the normal nine to five lifestyle, right, where you spend a lot less time together, um, everything that we've learned about each other in the last year would have taken us a lot longer. You know what I mean? Because we've we've just had so much time together and so much, so many different experiences and so much learning that I feel like it's just, it's really taken our growth as a couple to an exponential level, if that makes sense. Totally. We, we joke that we've been married in dog years because it's like, if you get married and, uh, you know, you go on the traditional week honeymoon and then you go, you know, back to your nine to five job, it's like, well, we would kind of be getting the leftover versions of ourselves at the end of the day. I don't want to say that for everyone, but I know, you know, I'm a morning person. I feel like that through, you know, like two, three o'clock is really, you know, like I'm, that's, that's me and my highest energy, uh, happiest, whatever. Not that I'm a totally different person in the afternoon. I'm not, but you know, you get that same sense of them all day, all, all the time. You're always together. So like you said, you know, you, that would, how long would it take you guys to have the amount of experiences and time together if you had went that route? You know, it's just, it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I really do think it's brought us closer and made us stronger. I mean, yeah, again, there was, a, there was a lot to learn. And I think that we've made that a priority. I mean, I hope it's okay I share this cheesy detail. But, you know, my, my parents got us some books on marriage and we got married. And we actually do read them together pretty regularly. And, you know, we, we've made it a priority to, to grow together through this experience. That's so, not cheesy yeah. at all. Yeah, I think, I mean, you invest in so many other areas of your life. Like how many resources have you probably bought on 
health and fitness and, you know, like why not invest in the most important relationship of your life? That totally makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah, we're big love language fans. I feel like you posted something about that. Why do I feel I, that way? No, I think I'm, I'm sure that I have. I'm familiar with it. We studied it in in college. Uh, I am. What am I? I'm. I'm definitely quality time. So it's like we don't do cell phones Perfect. on the table. And when we're hanging out, like that's a even if it's just her and I. A lot of times, like she'll be looking at her computer and. And I'm sure it annoys her to all in, but I'm just like, can you just look at me? And I'm, I sound probably like a needy little husband, but it's just one of those things I really appreciate that quality time. It, like, I'm here, you're looking at me kind of thing, even if she's like thinking and taking in what I'm saying and looking at something else. So, Yeah, no, I totally relate to that. I do that sometimes. I'm like, can I just have your eyes? Like, I just, yeah, we just look at me. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> what is the draw yeah. for you guys to do extremely long races? I know, you know, like, do you like pain? I, I don't know. Because I've never, I've never, I did cross country. That's like my extent. I did that through uh, middle school and the first parts of high school. So, I mean, it was long distance, you know, it's painful. And I've heard, you know, some people say everything after that first, you know, so many laps or so many, so much period of time is, it's kind of like a lot of grit. It's a lot of heart. So what is it that draws you guys to, you know, long endurance races? By the way, how long, uh, just as a refresher, how long is an Ironman race? So an Ironman race starts with a 2.4 mile swim, uh, typically in open water, like a lake or an ocean, and then a 112 mile bike ride, and then a full marathon run, 26.2 miles for the run. The whole thing's 140.6 miles. So just like another day of a, a little bit of cardio, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. No, another you day. Have, you have 17 hours to get it done. Oh my <laughs> that's, gosh. That's the cut. And there's cutoffs along the way. You got to be out out of the swim at a certain time, off the bike, etc. Wow. Yeah, the draw, I think, uh, Heather's kind of a little bit of an uh, anecdotal story to this because, uh, you know, she was a runner and enjoyed running a lot prior to this, but um, had it not been for me doing what I'm doing and her just genuinely wanting to share this experience with me, I don't know if she ever would have done an Ironman or had the draw that most people do. Um, she, she did enjoy it and she trained incredibly for it. Um, she's by far my, my best client. Uh, (laughs) And to your point about pain, I mean, he trained me so well and we did so much training leading up to my first Ironman that it really wasn't even pain. It was just, just long, just really long. (laughs) You you kind of have to get to a, a, uh, kind of a psychological standpoint of, you know, you, you can't go the whole length of this race. It's just, it's, it's too much to think about, but all you can do is just left, right, repeat. Mm. And I, I tell, I tell that to a lot of my, uh, my athletes, cause that's really what it is. You just kind of have to keep on chugging. And truly, if you've trained correctly for it, um, the, the race isn't really all that hard. Um, the, the pain in the butt is, is the training. Uh, so the race day is just kind of there to enjoy as far as what the what the draw is for most people, uh, I think I kind of fall in that category. Uh, and it's really funny when I think back on it, um, that I was uh, turning 30 and having that kind of oh no moment in my life, <laughs> what's going on. And uh, I was smoking cigarettes and I, I can't even believe this. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it was three days before my 30th birthday. I remember smoking a cigarette, driving home from work at my job at the time and uh, saying this is stupid and Flicked that cigarette out and threw the half a pack that I uh, had with me uh, in the nearest garbage can I could. And I haven't smoked a cigarette since. And I just kind of started running. And I was like, I got to get in shape. I was 40 pounds heavier than I am today. Um, so it wasn't like crazy. But I was just on my way to, to be, you know, that, that uh, in a direction I didn't want to go in. Yeah. So. 
I've I've heard uh, if you've ever heard the term like inciting incident, I've heard that before in a book uh, by Donald Miller, and he talks about how sometimes uh, you need kind of crazy inciting incidences if you really want to take a huge cor- like course change in your life, and you know like if you're overweight or not doing in, in healthy habits then sometimes it's it's not easy to just say, I'm going to get in really good shape. You almost need to say, I'm going to sign up for a half marathon or something to that extent right. that's going to literally force you. And I found that to be true in circumstances in our life that parallels in, in business and not just from a health thing. It's like if I really want to get something done, like when we were editing our documentary, actually putting dollars on the line and hiring an editor and giving a clear timeline for when we need to get this done – you know, really lit a fire. Otherwise, you know, it's easy to kind of drag your feet. Um, yeah. So, how long do do p- people typically train for an Ironman before jumping into their first one? Uh, if it's their first one, um, and again, it kind of depends on where their experience level is. Um, there's a lot of people that you know have done dozens of half Ironman, and they're good and competent, strong endurance athletes that are now trying to go for their first Ironman. And there's some people that kind of, like I was one of these, uh, did it the wrong way. I went from Olympic, which is like a very short race, to an Ironman. I didn't even do a half Ironman. So it's a little bit more extreme then, and you definitely need more time, I would say, based on that. So typically, most Ironman uh, athletes are going to need to spend 20 to 24 weeks for their first one, I would say, if I had to throw a number at it. So five to six months. And you're training daily. Daily. T- typically six days a week, um, at least one workout a, a week. Um, but, you know, more as, as the date gets closer or as the athlete has time available. Um, I would say it's a minimum 10 hours a week of training. Wow. And so with your clients, what, is that, what does that look like for you guys as you're training and working with clients? Uh, are you typically working with them for those full six months? Do you have clients that you've worked with longer than that? How does that, how does that kind of work? Because I've never trained for a big race and, and had a coach through that process. But I imagine like you really do need somebody who's went through that because it is a uh, – unless you're doing it full time, which I imagine a lot of people still have their jobs, uh, it, I'm sure it's difficult to kind of come up with that training regimen and know exactly what you need to do. Right. And that, that is the, the key is knowing what to do, when to do it and how to do it. And, and almost the, the most important part is when to not do anything at all. You know, that's, that's one of the biggest reasons, uh, you know, this sport draws type a people, um, that have just always done very well at, you know, I, I want to, I want to, you know, have my boss's job within six months and they work their butt off and they work late nights and they do everything they can to put in the time. And, uh, you know, they're, they're able to just achieve things through just sheer great determination and hard work. And then they try to get into Ironman training and they're like, I'm just going to start with a 70 mile bike ride. And then they get injured. Mm. And that's kind of the, the hardest thing as a coach is to get people to throttle back and to stay on course and to develop their full body physiology. Um, when really all they want to do is just train really hard so that it hurts every day. They think that that's the path to success. But yeah, I would say as a newbie this last year, just answering some of your questions, like the, the, there's just so many random little questions like, do I need to buy a wetsuit? What size bike do I need? How do these aero bars work? I don't even understand. Like, I remember the first time I rode a bike, I just, it was so wobbly because it's like a, it's a very narrow wheel and the, the aero bars where you actually are kind of like down on your elbows riding a bike. It's a very different way of riding a bike. So there's just all these little things as a newbie like a gazillion questions and so you know i've seen him work with a few newbies on that and it's 
it is. There's a lot. It, having somebody there to answer those questions um, is is very very helpful. I got like the you know spray from the hose fire hose this last year. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Yeah. When you're competing in a race like this, what is kind of your mental train of thought that's going on? Because uh, I'm, I'm just assuming like, like what, like, I can't I just can't imagine what, what is going through your head during 17 hours of what I'm imagining is at least partial agony. Yeah, uh, that's funny. It's a good question. And it's definitely evolved. Uh, what I thought about on my very first Ironman and then what I thought about this last year in Florida, which uh, was my ninth Ironman, are two very kind of different things. Um, you know, now it's, it's all about race preparation and, and part of the training is just, um, creating and developing a race plan. Like, uh, you know, I need to make sure that I'm doing this, this, and this during the swim. So when I get out of the water, I come over and do this, that, and the other, and then I hop on the bike and I'm ready to go. So that, cause everything just compounds on itself. So if I go out really hard on the bike, uh, you know, then it's, it's going to make my legs more tired for the run. So it, it kind of becomes this gentle balance of what do I need to do best? What's my race day plan? So, you know, whether I'm looking at like my heart rate to tell the intensity or, or my uh, power, you know, the bikes all have power meters these days where you can actually see your watts and the energy you're expending. Um, so it's really, it's, it's kind of a scientific dance right now, which is a lot of fun, uh, mixed in with just the worst songs you'd ever want <laughs> stuck on repeat in your head. <laughs> I had uh, moves like Jagger oh, gosh. stuck in my head for about 80 miles of a bike ride once. That's just, <laughs> you don't want that. Yeah. What about you, Heather? Like, what was going through your mind during your first Ironman? Honestly, the first one, my, well, this last one, my, my first full, the one I did in, in Florida there, was uh, was mostly really positive. I was having a very fun day for most of it. I was like, I can't believe how 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 good this is. The day is beautiful. There was a few, a few hurdles to contend with, like pretty significant wind on the bike and things like that. But overall, I was just having a really enjoyable time. I was definitely filtering through a few different random songs playing in my head as well. They don't let you listen to music, which is unfortunate, but, mm. and it wasn't till the second half of the marathon that things got really rough for me. And that's when it's like, you know, just really trying to get those, those thoughts to overcome the pain that you're starting to feel and the, the exhaustion that you're starting to feel. So that definitely becomes a little more challenging um, or a lot more challenging, I guess. I ended up walking some of that because it just my legs were so tired. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you definitely have to just that picturing the finish line and what that's going to be like to feel that, you know, emotion to, of having completed one of these and, and knowing that it was going to make my husband so proud at the other <laughs> end of it. So I just was I was just picturing him and picturing the finish line mainly. That's awesome. Jim, you were the inspiration. <laughs> I feel like there's a song in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? How do you guys feel uh, competing in these races has carried over into your life? Because I just imagine you're thinking about like you're going through breaking through these endurance barriers that you weren't really sure if you could do, like in business, finding new clients, and even maybe even with RVing. You know, on on days where you know mechanically there's things that are breaking, or how how do you feel like? competing in some of these races has carried over into other elements of your life? Well, I, I think first and foremost, kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's all of those individual items all really, uh, uh, emulate our, our core philosophy, which I think has always been on our own respective levels that we're able to rise to any challenge. We're able to overcome any obstacle. And it's that kind of 
can-do attitude that I think, you know, I mean, life just throws hard variables at you. And uh, just whether you're trying to do a 140.6 mile race or your brakes are on fire on the side of the road coming over the Tetons Pass, <laughs> you, you got to be you guys? able to, to yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> It did. You got to be able to to overcome that. And I think that we've been able to do that individually when we've needed to and as a team when we've needed to. And that, uh, and there's always a finish line, yeah. like no matter what you're going through. Like one of the first days we were actually moving all of our stuff um, out of the apartment. We had just the longest, most exhausting day and getting ready for this trip. We ended up double blowing. We had two tire blowouts in the same night. Oh, so wow. we had like the longest day of moving and then two tire blowouts. We didn't sleep at all. We had to get towed the next. It was just a mess. But somehow we had like just the most fun night together of just disasters. And I think it's just because, you know, you know, it's going to be over soon and then you'll be able to rest and everything's going to be fine. You just they just keep that finish line in your mind's eye. I think it's helpful during some of those times to learn to laugh at yourself and laugh or maybe yeah. at the situation because it's just like. I don't know. Otherwise, you want to cry. So it's like, I have a choice. I can laugh or cry right now. So I'm going to laugh. Totally. And there was actually a lot of laughs that night. As scary as it was sleeping on the 8 freeway with semis running by you. And then we got picked up by this old tow truck driver. And we were exhausted and just wanted to not talk at this point. But he wanted to, like, give us new marriage advice. And (laughs) just for your your knowledge, his advice was when your wife gets very, very upset at you and you just can't resolve it through talking. Just take all your clothes off because his argument was your wife can't fight with you when you're naked. Uh, that actually sounds pretty <laughs> practical. Right? Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. Something that uh, just while we're on the little bits of marriage stuff, uh, one thing that we have kind of implemented as a rule that we don't talk about uh, finances or stressful conversations unless there is at least uh, one of two things around chocolate or wine. So we don't talk about some of those stressful things unless we have those things available nearby. Good rule. Yeah. So you've been uh, going back to the coaching side of the business. I'm sure there are, I mean, there's so many people out there and I've been meeting more and more who are either trainers or they would like, they're interested in being a trainer while on the road. And so I'm interested to hear uh, your kind of progress and things that you've learned from building up that side of the business as you guys are RVing? Like, what, what would you say have been some of the main aspects of getting that business started uh, that you've learned in the past couple of years that maybe you could part, you know, give to somebody else who's looking to, you know, maybe go travel around the country, but they're interested in, you know, still helping train or coach people? Uh, I mean, kind of the, it's, it's not that you couldn't just do it, but uh, in this particular case, at least with the sport of triathlon and, and long distance triathlon, um, I think in order to, to coach something like this, you really kind of have to have a real passion for it um, to, to be doing it yourself. Um, you have to have gone through and, and experienced it and the ups and downs and, and everything that goes with it in order to be a good coach. So it's not that somebody couldn't jump into this, but I would say um, if this is you know something that somebody's listening to this podcast and they're thinking you know this is something I could do someday, I, I would say related to what is it that you're passionate about right now, and what could you do to to share that passion or teach other people about your passion um, in in a way that allows you the the freedom uh, to travel ideally uh, and. Anything can happen if you figure out a plan to get there. I, I wouldn't be in a rush to do anything, but I wouldn't waste any time either. <laughs> if that makes sense. Totally. Right? Uh, 
I think there's been an evolution this year. I don't mean to cut you off here, but you know, going from the initial starting of his business in in Seattle with uh, you know a core group of people to your first or to one of your previous questions to what it's evolving to currently between you know the client base that he was able to build this year and the networking that we did this year um, to what he's been also working on as we've been traveling. Um, we've spent a lot of time in a lot of different libraries while he's. Um, creating a couple of different websites, actually, one of which is eventually going to be kind of a, an automation. I don't mean to take too much of your your stuff here. But anyway, so he's working on creating something that is hopefully going to be a residual income for us and allow us a, a lifetime of um, location independence. That's awesome. What is the the kind of the format of the clients that you're working with now to kind of dig into more of the details? Like you've met some of them at these races. You've done a couple of clinics as you guys. How many clinics have you done, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, I would say probably around 10 this year. We didn't get to do one in every city, but we, we do them here and there uh, when we can. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's awesome. And how have you went about setting those up in these different spots? Well, uh, I, I started uh, a couple of different clubs and uh, used to just put clinics on anyway uh, for the, the people that were tend to be new athletes, you know, everything from uh, learning how to go through transitions to changing a flat tire. Uh, you know, just things that you don't think about when you're thinking, oh man, I got to swim this far and bike this far and run this far. And you forget, like all of a sudden you have a flat tire. Now you have all kinds of other stuff you got to deal with. So uh, being able to put on clinics like that uh, really kind of helps, um, you know, the, the, the athlete kind of learn something maybe that they, they hadn't thought about. Uh, and I think that uh, coaches can add some value in that capacity. Everybody knows that you need to swim a lot, run a lot, and bike a lot in order to train for a triathlon. But the other things uh, that you don't think about so much, I, I think really can can benefit from that kind of clinic training. And uh, I've just been putting these on kind of since I very first got started. I mean, I going back to that, I remember my very first flat tire in the four mile uh, walk home in bare feet because I couldn't change my own flat tire on the road. <laughs> And then to, to think that now I'm like trying to teach people how to do this in under 60 seconds. So now if you're on a race, it's not going to, it's not going to cost you the race if you get a flat. Right. And, and where are you setting these clinics up? Are you setting them up in local gyms and, and how are you kind of marketing these in different places? Oh, they can be, uh, parks have been the easiest resource to find because it's free and open source and you can kind of schedule and word of mouth. Um, if we can do stuff on, on site at races, um, smaller stuff normally can't like, uh, we haven't set up a booth yet, although we have all of our stuff for, uh, for doing that. We just actually didn't get around to it this year. Um, but yeah, parks have been a great resource for being able to find a, a free public space that you can tell people where to go and, and they're able to find it easily enough. Yeah. And then you have the, the room for everybody to kind of work. And if it's, you know, a tire changing clinic, everybody kind of spread out and go through the steps while I'm showing them how to do that. Yeah, and how, how have you guys went about marketing and reaching out in these new these new places to, to get these people to the clinics? So uh, finding uh, tri-clubs like meetup.com, if you're familiar mm -hmm. with them. Yeah. So if we know that we're going through, uh, and I'll use Austin as an example because we very specifically did not do one in Austin. So we're not going to feel left out if they're listening. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, we would just look up in Austin and be like, okay, triathlon clubs in the Austin area. And then you have, you know, the Austin Super Tri team and shoot their president a message and say, hey, we're you know, Coach JB, uh, JB Multisport and AskATriCoach.com. And we're coming through town and wanted to host a free clinic for your athletes to come out and uh, 
learn something new and kind of talk about, uh, you know, if there'd be any benefit to uh, more coaching, et cetera. And just kind of approach it in a very loose way like that and just it tended to be very well received. Um, I didn't charge anything for the clinics. It was just about marketing uh, my coaching business. And has that been a pretty successful way to get new clients on board that came to the free clinic and then wanted to, you know, do one-on-one coaching with you? It has. It definitely helps generate buzz. Um, also, word of mouth um, helps there. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy did a clinic. And um, you know, I had one friend that knew somebody at a clinic that we did. So uh, that was kind of, yeah, I just see it's just about advertising and, and getting the, the word out there. And I haven't been really uh, stressed to try to, uh, you know, make sure I have 50 athletes. I, I want to make sure because I, I spend a lot of time with each of them. Um, so it's it's been good, steady growth this year. I, I couldn't have asked for it to be any better. Awesome. And uh, this is something I, I ask at the each at the end of every podcast episode. But what does success look like for you guys uh, as y'all are traveling around, competing, and training, and exploring the U.S. in the RV? Um, I think honestly, our biggest measure of success is going to be is location independence. You know, we talk about what our dream life looks like, and you know what the future holds for us, and. You know, we do hope that there was a family in the not too far future. And uh, I think, you know, as we talk about that, even with kids, we want to we want to uh, just maintain a location independence. And it's not likely going to be in an RV necessarily um, forever. But, you know, the ability to you know choose where we want to live and be able to move around and not be tied to the nine to five at any point in our lives, really. Um, again, with uh, kind of what he's building, I think. Um, that this is a, this is very doable through creating that residual, you know, income that uh, just provides that freedom. I love it. Uh, did you want to add anything, Jim? I think that really success is just us really uh, being able to to do what we want to do when we want to do it. I, I think that's maybe a little bit too generic, but um, I, you know, it's that freedom. It's it's not being tied. It's it's living the life that we want to live and. Um, you know, making, making a difference where we can and yeah, just creating win-win solutions. And yeah, I think that's, that's really what success is. It's making things better than they were when, before you got here. Awesome. Well, Jim and Heather, where can people learn more and connect with you guys online? Uh, you can go to burrow.com, B-U-R-H-O.com is, uh, our, our website and yeah, we have a blog up there and it's ever evolving. And uh, we have our Instagram is Team Burrow. And then uh, if you are interested in the triathlon stuff, uh, JB Multisport is the uh, coaching business and Ask a Tri Coach is the up and coming um, end all be all for everything triathlon. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll put all of those links in the show notes and people can check those out. Thank you guys again for being on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Heath. Yeah, thanks it was a lot, really Heath. awesome talking to you. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Grab the show notes over at heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast. Also want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, for supporting this podcast. You guys are awesome. And again, if you want that discount on a WeBoost, I have 10% discounts. The first 10 went really fast, and then they reached out to me and told me they had a bunch more. So I they kind of made a little bit of a liar out of me, but I have more of those 10% discounts, and I think those are just going to be ongoing. So if you buy it through me, then I get 10% discount and a little bit of kickback. So if you want any of the WeBoost cell boosters, feel free to reach out, Heath at campgroundbooking.com. You can contact me. Thank you guys again for tuning in, and I'll see you all next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.